The following is a sermon from Pastor David Salinas of Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. One of the most gut-wrenching words in human language has to be the word closed. I'm, I almost hate to ask you to imagine it, but I'm going to ask you to imagine it. Imagine that, that every door that human beings want open in life has been for you. And you've had your dream school, and you got your dream job, and you have your dream relationship, and your dream home, and your dream family, but you've walked the journey of life through all of those open doors that everybody wants without Jesus. And eventually, the door slams shut that slams shut on everybody. It's cancer, and it's inoperable. And the chemo and radiation will only prolong the inevitable. And you've died. And you're standing before the door of heaven, and you are banging, and you are yelling at the top of your voice, Lord, open up! It's me! But he says to you, I'm sorry, I don't know you. Go away. Closed. That has to be, can there be a more heart-wrenching, heartbreaking word in all of human language than that? So last week, the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, through the Apostle Paul's, how do you put it, Pastor Tim, his emotional Easter logic, resurrected a key part of our inner being our reasoning. And the Holy Spirit gave us eyes to see things as they really are. That, that the fairy tale is false. The fairy tale that there is no resurrection of the dead. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And therefore, our preaching is not futile. It is effective. It is effective for eternal salvation, it is effective for life, it is effective for ministry. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, we are not in our sins, we are out from under them as far as the east is from the west, as far as the east is from the west. Christ is risen, that means that our dead who died in the Lord, they are not lost, they are at home with him. He is risen risen indeed, we are not pitiful, we are powerful people. Today, the Holy Spirit comes to us, and he continues this this amazing flood of resurrected reasoning, And, and he causes this resurrected reasoning to just spill over like the cup of God's blessing, our cup runneth over, and today 
He gives us eyes to see one of the most vital things in life that there is to see. He gives us eyes to see some amazing and incomparable and needed open doors. Because this is most certainly true. There will be doors in your life that are going to close. But after today, you are going to walk out of here and you are going to walk out of here writing one beautiful word over every closed door. Come. Our Lord Jesus is waiting just on the other side of those doors, and he is kneeling, and his arms are wide open. Let's not keep him waiting. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who has put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son of himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all, our everything in all things. Now, if there is no resurrection, well, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? The dead are not raised at all. Why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. There is an open door of peace just for you. Do you see it? Do you see that open door? I want you to concentrate right now on the first part of our lesson for this morning. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, says the Apostle Paul, correct? What is the very first thing that Paul wants us to wrap our minds around with that stunning, incredible truth? That Christ's resurrection is not an isolated event. That when God threw open the door of Christ's tomb, that was the first step in a worldwide campaign of our great God to throw open billions upon billions of Christian tombs, raising them to eternal life. What interesting, fascinating, unique, distinctive, beautiful name does the Apostle Paul give Jesus in this, this title, in this section here? What does he call him? Jesus' first fruits. What's that? What are the first fruits? In the Old Testament, well, pretty self-explanatory, actually, right? In the Old Testament, the first fruits were literally the first fruits to blossom on a crop. So the first figs on a fig tree 
to come into season, first fruits. The first grain on a stalk of wheat that gets cut, first fruits. But here's the Old Testament point about them. The first fruits are not an isolated reality. What are they? They're the beginning of the harvest, right? So if you have first fruits, what are you supposed to expect? Next fruits. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection to eternal life. The resurrection cleared completely from all sin, from all stain, and into a deathless, matchless life. Jesus is God's cross, your, my heart promise, that on the last day, he will call your name, and you will be that next fruits harvest. And you will rise, and you will have the same character and quality as the first fruits. Sinless, holy, stainless. There it is, the open door. Do you see it? The open door to peace. Jesus' first fruits resurrection is the open door. Listen to me carefully here. It is the open door to a recreated humanity on the last day that will rise in glory because they are sinless and they are holy. And holy does not die. Look at verse 22. This is, this is amazing. This is huge, guys, huge. There's an amazing connection. It says that as in Adam all die, correct? So in Christ all will be made alive. So let's go back to, let's go back to Adam version 1.0. Okay, Adam and Eden. And there he is with curiosity watching as his bride, right? The one whom we wrote a beautiful poem to the Lord about, watching her sink her teeth into the, the forbidden fruit with curiosity, wondering if she's going to drop dead on the spot. And when she doesn't, he says, my, that fruit looks good too, and he bites in. When that happened, when Adam sunk his teeth into the forbidden fruit, he became a toxic first fruits. He, he introduced his own original sin and all of the corruption and rottenness that comes with that sin into the human line. And so the next fruits, the human harvest after Adam, came out, was blossomed with the same character and quality of the first toxic fruits of Adam. Completely worm-eaten in sin and rotting and stinking in death. In Adam all die. Therefore, through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, all people, because all sinned, as Adam in the representation of Adam. But now comes Adam version 2.0, and the Son of God is fully atomized. He takes on our human nature, sans, minus the sin, and he, and he represents us. And he does not bite into Satan's lie, but what he does do is he accepts full responsibility and, and bears the full guilt of the whole harvest, the whole sinful harvest. And when he dies on the cross, he dies for the sin of the whole sinful harvest. So when he rises from the dead, this was God's declaration that all of the sin of the world, because Christ became all people who sinned on that cross, that all of that had been forgiven, and all of that had been cleansed, and really sin was done. It was finished. It was finito. 
I don't know if you've ever thought about this. This was exciting for me, guys. This was so exciting. Never thought about this. How many days in creation are there? Seven, right? Uh-uh, because now when you include the resurrection of Jesus, there's an eighth eternal day of creation. You see, now God, through Christ's resurrection, was beginning to recreate humanity. There was a second Adam who was the father of a new kind of humanity who would one day no longer be subject to the powers of death because they are no longer under sin. For if Christ is risen, you are holy indeed, and holy does not die. That is why you are alive in him. That is why one day you will rise to eternal life. So you are sinless, and you are holy, and all of that can be found in that little title, First Fruits. You get that piece? You get, see that? Let's walk through this door right now. So, as I was reminded yet again... It just does not take very much for you to to start to wallow in your own sinfulness and some of the boneheaded mistakes that you make. Let me tell you, it does not take much to just get really down on yourself and kick yourself over and over for how messed up you are and how easily you can just mess things up, how thoughtless we can be. And, And if I remember correctly from Zechariah, this is where Satan slithers right up to our right ear, and he whispers, guilty, not good enough. You are going to die. But this is where this peace is, and we can run through this door, because this is where we can, right here in Jesus, the first fruits, we can run through the door into the loving arms of our shepherd and turn around and tell the devil, devil, eat my dust. I am not guilty. I am innocent. And I am good enough. I'm more than good enough. And, and I will not die. I will live. I am alive now. And when he calls my name, I will live because in Jesus, my first fruits, I am sinless. I am stainless. I am matchless. I am holy and sinless, stainless, matchless, and holy does not die. Devil, eat my dust. What a, what, a, what a door of peace. Man, walk through that every day, please. Don't, don't live any day of your life without walking through that and just running into the arms of your shepherd. But, Paul, now tell us, what's behind door number two? And door number two is a wide open door of hope. Do you see that door for you, open for you? I want you to look at verse 25. Somebody, everybody want to read it out loud? Catch them. What's verse 25 say? He must. All right, so this wide open door of hope hinges on, or swings open on three hinges. Ready? Must reign until. So Jesus must reign until he puts all of his, en- all of his enemies have the, his sandal print on their necks until that last enemy is going to get crushed, Right? He must reign. So my question for you is, why must he? Why must Jesus reign over every power and authority and dominion and every circumstance until he comes again on the last day? Why must he? Because God chose you in Christ Jesus before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
Because God chose you in Christ Jesus before the creation of the world to be conformed to the dazzling, sparkling, holy image of His one and only Son. God's grace for you in that election in eternity made it necessary. It was a must-do for the Son of Man to go to Jerusalem, to suffer, to die, and to rise again in order to make that goal a reality. For that same, and in that same exact love and grace of the Lord from eternity, that makes it necessary for the Son of Man who is risen from the dead to put His foot over the necks of every enemy and squeeze so it serves His people to accomplish the goal of getting you to heaven, holy and blameless in His sight, fully conformed to the holy image of His Son. What an amazing door of hope that is for you and for me right now. Because this is what it means. Every one of us has had those doors closed. I mean doors that you really wanted open and you prayed hard to be open. But maybe, maybe there just is no, no way out. Maybe there is just no way out of this pain. Maybe the circumstance isn't going to change. Maybe things in some certain earthly sense are just not going to get better. And so sometimes you can find yourself like the disciples on Easter evening, locked inside of a, of a dark room where you're afraid and anxious about the future and you're just so disappointed about what's happened in the present and you're just kind of sunk low in that funk. And, and, and a, a thought, maybe a feeling flits by that, that there's no way out for you and you know what, there's really even no way in for God. But just as in Easter evening, Jesus doesn't pay attention to doors. You notice he doesn't even knock. He just, nothing can keep the good shepherd away from his sheep. And he stands in their midst in that same way. The ruling, reigning Christ is for you. There is hope for every closed door. Because he must reign means this. That there is no disappointment. There is no disease. There is no demon. There is no setback. There is no trouble. There is no struggle that does not have Jesus' sandal print on, his on its neck. And he squeezes and he says, serve my sheep. And so that means that what the Apostle Paul wrote about a year later in Romans is absolutely true. Since he must reign until everything, all the powers are under his feet, everything must work for the good of those who love him, must work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. There is the wide open door of hope for you, for in all of your closed doors, you're more than conquerors through him who loved you. Walk through that hope. Just one last door. Let's round this out. Can I call this door the door of resurrected living? See that, see that door open for you there in, in this text? The, the very last half of it where we're talking about the implications of our practical life of the resurrection. The door seems kind of shut at first, doesn't it? Because we run smack dab into one of the most puzzling most difficult verses in all of the Bible. Verse 29. The baptism for the dead, right? Like, so you're going to ask me, Pastor, what is that about? And here, I'm not even going to pretend to tell you definitively what exactly was going on among the Corinthians that led Paul to write these words. 
You know, there have been some estimates over 300 different interpretations of that passage. I'm not going to even begin to tell you exactly what's going on there. But you know what? I'm going to tell you this. It doesn't matter. Because what verse 29 says, and the point it makes, along with the rest of the verses that follow, make an incredible point that will empower our godly living now and forever. It's an incredible point that I don't want you to miss, and I don't want you to walk out with, like, cloudy about. Here it is. Ready? This is huge. Very, very huge. All doctrine is practical. Can, can I say that again? All doctrine, all teaching has practical application, implications for our lives. In other words, whatever you believe inside, whatever your inner convictions are, they don't stay inside of you, they come out. They are lived out, and here it is. They should be. So, if you hold to a doctrine of death, if you believe that there is no resurrection of the dead, that dead is dead, and that belief, that doctrinal statement, actually coincides with reality, then the only thing that makes sense is for you to live dead, live for yourself, right? Because if there is no resurrection of the dead, and that actually is the case, then Paul's point in verse 29 does make perfect sense. Christian baptism is absolutely irrelevant. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then why on earth would we ever deny ourselves, take up our cross, and suffer for the cause of Christ? Wouldn't that be the height of foolishness? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then why not live like animals? And in fact, that's the practical life that is lived under that doctrinal statement, when people buy into that doctrine. So let me tell you, in ancient Egypt, you know one of the practices was? Incredible. Ancient Egypt, the head waiter would, would walk by at the end of a banquet, like maybe even a, a wedding feast, walk by with a coffin. And inside that coffin was a wooden figurine. And as, as the, the, this waiter would walk by each of the guests, he would say to each of the guests, eat, drink, and be merry now, because when you die, this is all you're ever going to be. And they did. <laughs> People who buy into the doctrine of death will live dead lives. The converse is true. Holding to the doctrine of the resurrection with resurrected reasoning necessarily leads to resurrected living, right? That's the only thing that makes sense. If Christ is risen indeed, and he is risen indeed, and you believe that he's risen indeed, then does it make any sense for you to live like a corpse now? Isn't that ridiculous? Don't live like a corpse. Live like a Christian. Live like you are. You're alive in Christ. You're going to rise to glory one day. So you've died to sin. Don't live in it any longer. Don't willingly give yourself over to it. Give yourself over to God as one who has actually been brought from death to life because you have. Do not give yourself over to the instruments of sin. Give your entire self to God and all of the parts of you as instruments of righteousness. Let's walk through this door. So, love Tim McGraw. Any Tim McGraw fans here? All right. Hey, he gives us the advice. You know, like, hey, we're going to take at least 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu, right? And, and live like we were dying. You know what I say? I say bull. I say actually live like you were rising, like you're alive because you actually are. And, and so what that means is listen to the shepherd's voice. And the first thing that he would have you hear is this. He wants you to hear in these words him speak loud and clear to you what he spoke loud and clear right outside of Lazarus' tomb. Come out. 
Come back to your senses. Come back to life to your Christian senses. Look at me. I will return one day. I'm going to crash through the door of the sky. And when I do, I am going to crush the trachea of death, killing it forever. And I am going to take you home. And it's going to be the end. But no, it's going to be an exhilarating new beginning where you will just be praising me and your heavenly Father who will be all in all in sublime and exhilarating glory and life that is unimaginable together with those whom you love. In the light of that truth, whatever is noble, whatever is righteous, whatever is holy, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about and do such things. There it is. Three doors. Peace, hope, and resurrected living. Walk through them into the arms of your Jesus. Have him shut, behind the, shut the door behind you, keeping everything that is harmful to you out. And now, let's go full circle. The one beautiful word I want you to write over every closed door in your life. Ready? Open. Amen. Amen.